And there he goes. Coast to coast, can he make it? Yes, he can! Welcome to the Action Network studio in New York City. I'm Maria Marino, and this is Green Dot Daily. We're live every weekday at 3 Eastern on the Action Network YouTube channel and the Action app. You can also catch us on demand. On today's show, Will Levis has been getting a whole lot of buzz to be picked early in the NFL draft, but is it warranted? Plus, which team is the one to back tonight in the NHL? I'll give you a hint, it's an underdog. We'll get to that in a bit. But we start in the NBA, and the clutch player of the year, De'Aaron Fox, after a 38-point effort in a one-point loss to Golden State Sunday, the Kings announced Monday that Fox fractured the index finger on his shooting hand. Originally expected to be listed as doubtful for Game 5, Fox has other plans. It's going to be the cliche, if it was regular season, probably don't play, sit out for a week or two, see how it feels. Uh, but right now, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, I'm, I'm playing. All right. NBA stars dealing with injuries have actually cleaned up in the first round of these playoffs. You see Jimmy there with 35 and 11 assists in his return. Giannis a triple-double. And John Morant scoring 45 with 13 dimes and 9 boards. Now, to be clear, all of these players miss time before making a comeback, while Fox will not. But could Fox be the latest to battle through questionable health? That is the question as we say hello to Chris Raybon. And by the way, you pointed out that little pattern, so thanks for, for that. How do you approach this game, though, with De'Aaron Fox clearly not 100%? Yeah, Maria, I'm inclined to think that Fox will be closer to 100% than maybe the market thinks. We've continuously seen this with injuries in the playoffs where if guys are out there, they're generally playing at a high level uh, and they're going to, you know, they're not going to play if they if they feel like they're going to hurt their team. So, you know, this is kind of the script we've been looking at in this series with Golden State and Sacramento. It goes back to Sacramento now, Golden State covering just 26% of the time on the road this season, just 27% of the time as a road favorite and you know they've been outscored by five and a half points per game in the two road games have the Warriors so I think an interesting angle here is if you do like Sacramento tonight their series price is hovering around plus 170 you know so if they are able to win tonight and go up 3-2 let's say Golden State takes game six at home it goes back to Sacramento for game seven Sacramento is likely not going to be plus 170 it's probably going to be closer to a pick or a line similar to, to what we have tonight. So I think that's an interesting angle. If you still like Sacramento or you like them tonight, take that series price and you may be able to, to hedge out of it a bit uh, if it gets to seven. I really like that idea. And also the Warriors could end up suffering from a bit of a false sense of security. I know that they're going to go into this saying, it doesn't matter what De'Aaron Fox's status is. We have to like take care of business. But to your point, they haven't been able to do that on the road anyway. But uh, let's look at the rest of the slate and find out what you're picking. And we'll start with that Knicks game. They're in Cleveland for game five. What do you think? Yeah, I like Cleveland in the first half here. Uh, you know, down 3-1. I think they come out desperate. They're back at home. Uh, their first half margin has been a lot better at home than on the road this season. 3.8 at home, uh, just 1.1. Uh, are they outscoring teams on the road? In this series, they've actually outscored the Knicks by an average of seven and a half points in the first half in their two home games. 
Uh, and then on the road, they're getting outscored by an average of 11 points. So I, I do like Cleveland to come out strong. Garland and Mitchell, the backcourt, uh, they have to shoot better because the Knicks really haven't been scoring a ton of points either, just averaging 47 in the first half, 98 full game in this series. So you get a little better shooting out of Mitchell and Garland, who have shot a lot better at home uh, in this series in particular uh, and struggled on the road mightily. And I think you have the recipe for a Cavs first half cover and we've seen that a trend with that you know when you have a top four seed at home favored by you know three and a half or less in the, in the playoffs coming off a loss of of, of less than 20 they're 68 percent against the spread going back over the last two decades so i like the Cavs uh in the first half here I totally hear what you're saying um, with regard to the first half in particular, but with this game as a whole, I don't know. I just have a feeling like Cleveland's going to kind of come out the way they did in game two, where they're going to want to erase like how they got punched in that, that previous game. And they've shown that they're capable of doing that. So um, I would be a little shocked if they didn't, uh, if Cleveland didn't actually get, get a win tonight. That being said, our next game is uh, the Lakers. They are road dogs trying to close out the Grizzlies. What's your play there? That's an, this is another game where I like the team down 3-1 in the first half. You have Memphis, another team that they've always played really well at home, and especially in terms of coming out strong. If you go back since 2021, Memphis is covering 69% of the time uh, on the first half spread, 70%. 30 and 13 uh, against the first half spread this season. And historically, when you have teams at home from game three on, you lost two in a row in, in a playoff series, they're covering at, at 62% uh, when that spread is anywhere from, you know, a five and a half point favorite to a five and a half point underdog. So uh, the trends are in Memphis's favor. I think they come out strong here. And this Laker team, you know, could start a little sluggish. They just played a lot of minutes in an overtime game. They're a little older. LeBron played 45. Uh, Brown played 41 minutes in that game. Now they just get one day of rest and they're traveling. So I think that's a lot of the intangible factors here. Uh, I think give an edge to Memphis to come out strong. And uh, we'll see if they can hold the lead, but I do think they come out strong. Well, according to Dylan Brooks, anyway, LeBron is old, so you know that should come. <laughs> that should come into play. Uh, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Finally, the Bucks are big time favorites against the Heat. What do you feel comfortable betting? So it's another. I love attacking first halves in the in the playoffs because you always have this kind of game of adjustments and readjustments, and I think a lot of times the first and second halves can play out so different. So I like to kind of go off the last game and see what the adjustments are going to be. But here, I think uh, I think you got to attack the under for the first half in this Miami-Milwaukee game because we've just seen an eruption uh, of shooting for Miami. They're due for some regression. They're shooting 48% from three overall, 46% from three in the first half in this series. But I think Giannis being back, you know, his second uh, fully healthy game here uh, is big because he improves their defense by about three and a half points per 100 possessions in this series. And with him on the court on offense, a lot of times they may slow it down a little bit. They may, they're going to take fewer threes with him on the court because he's going to look to get to the hole. So overall, I think it makes for a lower scoring first half. So we've seen in the series so far, the three games, the first three games, Giannis was out, you know, mostly out 
uh, in game one and then out in game two and three, there was 126 points combined on average between the two teams. In game four with Giannis back, that dipped to 107. So I do think that we see a different style of game uh, coming out here for the Bucks in the first half. I, I think the Bucks play well in this one, but the line is so inflated because, you know, the market's kind of accounting for them to have this bounce back as, as they should as a number one seed. But that's why I'd rather go with the total here because the, the Bucks, you know, I think they're minus seven in the first half, minus 12 for the game. That's a little rich, um, you know, considering I think they close in, in game one, you know, around eight or nine. So um, the, the line is inflated on the spread, attack the total uh, in the first half with the under here. Definitely, that seems like the safer way to go. And sadly, I agree with you that the Heat probably won't shoot as well. As much as I would love to see Jimmy Butler, you know, go off for 56 again, probably not going to happen. Chris Raybon, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Maria. Green Dot Daily is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Folks, when QBs go one and two in the NFL draft, beware, because one of them is doomed. Since the 1970 NFL merger, QBs have gone one, two in the draft eight times. Of the 16 total quarterbacks, Half were flops. Only once have both met expectations. And it was 50 years ago when Jim Plunkett and Archie Manning went 1-2 in 1971. Here are the rest. 1993, Drew Bledsoe. Myra, loser. 98, Peyton Manning. And then Ryan Leaf. 99, Couch. Eh. But Donovan McNabb was also in that draft. 2012, Andrew Luck. Robert Griffin III, a winner and then a broken man. 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, no, no, no. 2016, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, kind of a half loss and a loss. And then in 2021, Trevor Lawrence, great, Zach Wilson, okay then. So whether we get a combo of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud or see Will Levis or Anthony Richardson make a surprise appearance in the top two, chances are one of the top two picks in the draft will be a flop. So that's a pretty brutal history to follow if you're one of those quarterbacks expected to go early in the draft as we say hello to Brandon Anderson. And Brandon, Bryce Young is still the favorite to be drafted first overall. Is that where you would take him? You know, I think I still lean C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young. I wrote about the quarterbacks this week, and I used three metrics, accuracy, interception rate, and number of starts, just very basic numbers just to kind of take a look at them. They're pretty even in those. They both look like pretty quality quarterback prospects. Stroud's a little better. He is, I think, the most accurate quarterback in the draft. He's also been better than a Young in big games. He had six games against top 10 teams. He put up 73% completion rate. Only 1.2% are exceptions in those games, including his last game, probably his best of his career against Georgia. 384 yards and four touchdowns. He got on the ground. He had two six-touchdown games in those top 10 opponent games. The concern, though, is Stroud. He's awesome in a clean pocket, awesome in standard dropbacks, 95th percentile or better. But he's had great offensive line, great protection, and elite receivers, like better than he'll have in the NFL receivers and he struggled under pressure. So 
I think that the ceiling, there are question marks with Stroud, but the floor is very strong there for him. Well, conversely, what are your concerns with Young when you compare him to Stroud? Yeah, look, I think it's got to just be the size, right? It's so obvious, and it's the thing we've been all talking about forever, but he's 5'10", he's 194 pounds. I look back, in the last 40 years, only four quarterbacks under six feet have attempted 125 passes or more in a season. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Seneca Wallace, Doug Flutie. That's it. And under 200 pounds, same thing. Tyler Huntley had 125 passes this year. He was the first one since Doug Flutie in 2003. 20 years we went without a 200-pound quarterback. So why does that matter? Well, you got to stay healthy. You're a franchise player. We're taking you as the top pick in the draft. We need you on the field. I worry that Bryce Young might look really good for four games or six games a year, might look like an MVP for moments, but that size, it matters on every single throw he makes. He's throwing off his tiptoes. He's having to get out of the pocket because he can't quite see over the line for some of the throws, or he's taking a deeper drop that limits you on schemes, on throws a little bit, and that injury concern is very real for me. So to me, Stroud, I think, is the safer play. I'm not sure he really is a top five quarterback a ceiling, but I think Young has higher variance, but a longer tail of the bad outcomes. So I would take Stroud between them. I think he's the safer play, but I'm not really sure either one of them is really a traditional number one pick quarterback for me. Well, I mean, that's that's a little disappointing, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, a couple other quarterbacks we've been hearing about are Anthony Richardson and, of course, Will Levis. Do you think their odds currently reflect where they should be selected? You know, Anthony Richardson, the more that I think about him, the more that I wonder if I might just not take him above either one of those guys. Richardson, by the metrics I mentioned, accuracy, interception rate, number of starts, holy red flag city. He doesn't fit any of those things. Under 55% completion rate. He started only one season, 13 starts. 3.8% interception is pretty terrible. Those are not the numbers of a top 10 quarterback draft pick. Those are the numbers of a top 100 draft pick. They, they might not be the numbers of a draft pick at all. So why are we taking him? Well, watch the tape because you see like one play from this guy and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to have this guy in my team. It, it's like we created a 99 rated Madden player at tight end with the tight end's body and the best speed that you can possibly give someone 99th percentile, 40, 99th percentile, broad jump, vertical splits. And then we're like, okay, what if we taught you to play quarterback also? Mm -hmm. And that's the part that we don't know still if it can happen. But the numbers this guy has at 6'4", 231, he gets compared to Cam Newton. He ran the 40 two-tenths of a second faster than Cam Newton. He had a six-inch higher vertical than this dude. So he is literally like guys are bouncing off of him running down the field. He broke 39 tackles on 97 runs this season. And I, I think, too, He's got to improve on accuracy a lot. Like that that's the whole thing with quarterback in NFL. But there are some underlying numbers. He has a high average depth of target. I think that's skewing the numbers a little bit. He's got a pretty natural pocket presence and gets the ball out quickly. Very very high bust potential, no doubt. He is not a good NFL quarterback right now. But in a league where you need to shoot for the stars and try to find that MVP, the guy that can win everything, I don't think that Stroud and Young necessarily profile as that. Richardson, if he hits, is the one guy in this class I think that does profile that way. I think he might be worth the risk.
Hey, I'm excited just listening to you talk about him, but what about <laughs> Levis? Yeah, Levis, I think, is getting a lot of that same sort of hype that I just gave. Similar red flags and similar hype. The problem for me is I think the red flags are just as red, and I'm not sure that the hype is quite as high. So sub-65% completion rate for him, really inconsistent mechanics on his throwing, 3.5% interception rate. He, in PFF this year, he ranked 101st among all quarterbacks in passes they deemed accurate. 54%. That is basically half of your passes. So this is a guy that has a cannon for an arm, but he's actually really terrible throwing the ball down the field. He threw an interception about one every eight passes this season downfield. He's making a ton of mistakes. He got sacked about once every three pressures this year, and he turns 24 in June. I forgot to mention that with Richardson. He's 20. So that is four extra years of development time that Levis has already had. And he's catching up on age to, to a lot of these guys that are already MVP candidates and in the Super Bowl. I think we're going to get a lot of Josh Allen comparisons for Will Levis. And I think Josh Allen, the drafted version, that's fair. But Josh Allen is the exception, not the rule. He had huge outlier development. He was a project and then some with a lot of red flags coming out of college. I think we got all the red flags and we might not get the Josh Allen upside. So for me, Will Levis is not the number one hype or number two hype that he's getting. I don't think he's a first round pick at all for me. Wow. I think all of those Reddit readers might be a little surprised to hear <laughs> that. Uh, but Brandon, I want to switch gears and talk NBA while we have you here. We know you wrote a preview of Warriors Kings game five for Action Network. So let's get into that. And here are the most bet props, courtesy of BetMGM. You got Keegan Murray of Sacramento to go under two and a half three-pointers made. Kevon Looney for Golden State to go over three and a half assists. And then Steph Curry over 32 and a half points. So what I'm hoping you can tell us is, uh, you know, which props should we be betting? And first, how do we play De'Aaron Fox specifically um, with props? knowing that he is injured. Yeah, I think the Fox angle is interesting because that's where you're looking for an edge here. So we know he's got the injury on his shooting hand. So what does that mean? How can we play that? Well, if I can't really use my shooting hand the way that I want to, I can assume my shots may not fall quite the same way. I'm going to assume it impacts his handle as well, and it might make him a little less aggressive. So the prop angles, if you want to play a Fox prop, He's had 3.3 three-pointers per game this series. The volume has really been up. Uh, he's he's dominated that drop coverage Golden State has had. So I think I like the under on Fox's threes, especially if you get a three and a half. Looking under, assuming that he maybe can't hit quite as well as he has been. I like three-plus turnovers if you get it. He's had that in five of seven games against the Warriors already. Draymond was on him last game and really gave him a lot of trouble in the second half. And again... That's a spot where we are playing the injury angle a little bit. And then rebounds as well. He had nine rebounds the last two games in a row uh, in Golden State, but 3.4 per game in the five Warriors games before that. And I just assume maybe you don't quite give that last burst of energy. You don't crash the boards quite as hard when you're trying to protect that hand a little bit. So I think if you want a Fox-specific angle, that's probably the way to go. And meanwhile, someone's going to have to pick up the slack for Fox, theoretically. So who is that for you, and are you betting it? Yeah, I am going to bet it. And I think the guy that I'm looking for here is Malik Monk. Monk is going to come off the bench. That's the old Kentucky pairing, Fox and Monk. And 
the thing with Monk too is not just picking up for, for Fox here, but it's the home road split thing this series that plays out. So Monk has averaged 25 points a game in the series at home, only 10 points a game on the road. And we've seen how important home road has been in the series. The Warriors are 10 and 33 on the road so far this season. They are the third worst defensive team on the road compared to third best at home. I didn't know how that's possible, but we've seen it all year. And we know in the playoffs, especially role players play better at home. So I like Monk on the over 16 and a half. And then Golden State's version of Malik Monk, Jordan Poole, I'm going to go under. He's at 10 and a half points a game on the road versus 19 at home. So he's on the road now and in his career off the bench, he's under 17 and a half on eight of his 10 games. We saw that a lot last year, even on the title run. And we saw Poole's minutes drop a little bit in the second half once Golden State went more to their two big lineup again. So I like Poole under 17 and a half, Monk over 16 and a half on the points. You can even play both together at around plus 240 if you like the angle. Well, I do like the angle because uh, I think just the, the whole point you're making about um, home versus road splits, particularly with role players, is going to come into play and even more so with this De'Aaron Fox injury. So, Brandon, thanks for that, and we always appreciate you joining the show. Fun night of NBA ahead. Let's watch some ball. Oh, yeah. Super fun. Can't wait. Turning our attention to hockey, Bruins with a 3-1 series lead on the Panthers heading into Game 5 tonight. 76% of bets and 92% of the money coming in is on Boston. Later, the Avalanche at home will try to go up 3-2 on the Kraken. Just over half the bets are on Colorado, but 84% of the money is on Seattle. With that, we bring in our NHL analyst, Nick Martin. And Nick, will the Bruins wrap this up tonight and skate into the second round? Yeah, I'm leaning towards yes. <laughs> I think that it's one where you're probably going to hear like some sharper betters make the case for the Panthers just because of how the games have gone, where it's a pretty easy case to say that it could be 2-2. Two to two. But Bergeron's back in the lineup for Boston. They've, they've still been doing a lot of the things they did well in the regular season. And it just feels like one where Florida is not going to be able to control enough of the play to find the result and get enough by uh, Allmark. So I'm not really going to say that I think betting the Bruins at minus 250 is a good idea at all, but it, it feels like they'll find a way to close it out in this spot. Yeah, it just feels like it's their time. But as we get into the second game tonight, you actually have some picks on this one. Why was it more interesting to you from a betting perspective? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of interesting notes on this game from a betting perspective and as to why the Kraken are a really lively underdog. So first off, for several seasons, we're seeing home favorites doing poorly in the NHL playoffs. Home teams are barely above 500 dating back to 2017, which is a, as like considering how favored they will always be in those games. We know that when you look at that as a better you're probably going to be down money if you're if you're backing too many home teams. And I think this is a good example of that. The Avs uh, closed at minus 155 last time out in Seattle, and they got outplayed heavily in that contest. So if you're backing them at this number in this game, you really need to be sure that you think the Avs are going to play drastically better and drastically better in part because they're on home ice. So I don't think that that's something you want to bet into. And then on top of that, the Avs have been getting by in this series because their superstars are carrying a ton of weight. McKinnon's been unreal. Miko Rantanen's been really good. And Kale McCarr has been excellent. So 
tonight they're not going to have Kale McCarr. He's suspended. So if we're going to move the number some for that as well, it just feels like to me this is getting to be like a, a really good price with the Kraken and what's going to be closer to a 50-50 game. Well, you mentioned Makar out, and I know he's one of a few key players that will be missing this game uh, for a few different reasons. What are the prop implications for that? So the prop implications of Makar being out, you're going to want to try to target whoever takes over that power play spot. As of now, that's not actually that clear. It's been pretty split between Devon Taves and Bowen Byram this season when he has been out. But with Nichushkin out up front, which is another reason we like the Kraken in this spot. They've just, the abs have been so reliant on their top stars in the series and losing another one means they're just going to lose so many depth matchups. I think JT Comper is really interesting. And then I also love Jaden Schwartz to go over two and a half shots on goal at minus 103 from the Kraken side of things. He's going to benefit from the Jared McCann absence. He's going to see a lot more usage at even strength. He was amazing in game four. He's been a proven playoff performer. So it's a bit of a square take because I think when you see the way he played in game four and once McCann left, everyone's going to be on this. But in hockey, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I'm not too worried about playing too too chalky of takes. I think a lot of times in the playoffs, that's fine. Just going back to the well. And I want to go back to the well with Schwartz with the way that he's been playing. Well, that sounds like a plan. You outlined it pretty straightforward, Nick. Um, I, I have nothing else to add to it. So I'll say thanks for joining the show and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Remember, any picks we give out here on the show, you can easily reference. Just go to the Action app and follow Green Dot Daily. We keep track so you don't have to. Green Dot Daily is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's all for Green Dot Daily. Once again, I'm Maria Marino. Thanks so much for hanging with me, and I'll see you again tomorrow at 3 Eastern on the Action Network YouTube channel and the Action app. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.